Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. It's a, it's a beautiful day to be in the Lord's house. I was waiting for everyone to get there, get seated. So, all righty. We don't have many announcements in the uh, in the bulletin this morning. Uh, does every, anybody have a, uh, any kind of a special announcement that needs to be made or anything this morning that did not make it in the bulletin? No, I just, Diane. I just I, forgot I was going to mention to you, Kevin, since we're having the baby shower, after this afternoon at 2. Yes, I'll be there. We have fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay. No lingering, no lingering at felt. All right, all right. All right. All right. So no lingering too much after during coffee time, and or we'll put they'll put you to work now. Uh, and everybody is certainly welcome to uh, be at the uh, shower for uh, Miranda this afternoon. Uh, any other announcements today? And just to be in, uh, just a thought that I had, be in uh, prayer for our uh, Easter services coming up, and uh, just be thinking about maybe inviting a friend or something like that, and uh, fill the church up. That would be a wonderful thing. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord this morning in prayer. <clears throat> our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this uh, opportunity that we have to be in your house today. And we thank you for your beautiful creation as we look out the window and see the sunshine and, and the snow and, and the coming of spring. And we just thank you that everything is in your hands. And as we go through our days and as we have difficulties and as, as we have joys and sorrows, we know that our lives are in your hand. And we pray that you'd help us to uh, understand what you would have for us to do each and every day. We pray that you'd watch over our service. We pray that you would, uh, your Holy Spirit would speak through Ian this morning as he brings the message. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> our call to worship this morning is the uh, responsive reading. Uh, and if you would like to, uh, uh, if you'd like to stand, and as we have our responsive reading, which is on the back of the bulletin. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Amen. And if you would remain standing, we will sing number 63, All Creatures of Our God and King. And let's sing uh, verses 1, 
2 and 5, verses 1, 2, and 5 of number 63. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us appreciate that the, the beauty of those uh, modern uh, machines there you just flip a button I guess I don't know yeah, verse number two thou rushing wind that are so strong ye clouds that sail it come forward for the morning offering and if you have any uh, prayer requests you can always put those in the uh, um, plate as it goes by and if uh, thank you so thankful for how you've blessed us. We thank you for our jobs. We thank you for our homes and our families and 
we realize that everything that we have is from you. So we pray that you would take this offering this morning, and that you would bless it, and that you would be glorified in the way that it is spent. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning will be found in Psalm, I mean Exodus, I'm used to saying Psalms, in Exodus chapter 33, starting with verse 12. Exodus 33, starting with verse 12, and we'll read to chapter 34, verse 8, if you'd like to follow along. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in, the, in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words which were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. And if you would turn now with me to number 342, we will sing Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, Amen, 342. take some time now to go to the Lord together in prayer. Okay, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we praise you and thank you that you are a good shepherd for your sheep, that you watch over your people. We thank you and we praise you that um, as a shepherd seeks out his flock, so you are seeking out your sheep. That you seek out your sheep, you find us, Lord, in whatever trouble we found ourselves in, and you rescue us from the places that we've been scattered. We praise you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that even now around the world, by the power of your Spirit, you're bringing in people from all, all nations and all peoples into your sheepfold bringing people to a living and saving knowledge of Jesus. What, a, what an assurance to know, Lord, that for all of us who belong to you, one day you will bring us into, into your own land. You'll bring your people home. And I ask this morning, Lord, that uh, 
as our good father and shepherd that, um, that you'd watch over this flock, that you'd seek the lost, bring back the strayed, you'd bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. We thank you for your kindness as a, as a good shepherd for your people. And as we come into your presence and acknowledge both your glory as our God and maker and your kindness as our shepherd, your kindness leads us to repentance. Your grace leads us to consider those ways in which we've fallen so far short of your glory, even this week. And we confess that in our minds, in our hearts, in our actions this week that we've sinned, Consciously and unconsciously, we've acted wickedly, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. We have not obeyed your voice. And we ask, Lord, that you'd have mercy on us according to your steadfast love, according to your mercy that you would blot out our transgressions, wash us thoroughly from our iniquity, and cleanse us from our sin. Let's take a moment to silently confess our sins to God. Hear the word of God to all who truly come to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the rest you promise and for the rest that you give to everyone who comes to you in faith. We praise you that in your death, we who have trusted you have found perfect forgiveness, that in your resurrection, we have found eternal life, that by your blood, we have been cleansed, and by your body, we are healed. As we come to you this morning, Father, we have so much to be thankful for. We're so thankful for the, uh, the promise of spring, which some days hangs in the air. Um, we thank you for the winter and for the snow, which reminds us of the, of, the, of the whiteness of our hearts after you cleanse us of sin, where we know the promise in your word, though our sins, will be as, though our sins are as scarlet, you will make them white as snow. And so we praise you for the winter, but we thank you for the spring, and we pray that it would come soon. We thank you for the, the life that's brewing in the trees as the, as the sap in the maple trees moves up and down in the morning and the evening and, and is going out to fill the branches with new life. And we pray that in the same way you would give us new life, even this morning, by your word. We praise you and we thank you uh, for uh, Carrie Klein's successful surgery and the recovery she's experiencing. We, we give you the glory for that, and we, we ask that you'd watch over her, that you'd hasten her recovery and bring her home soon. We ask your blessing, Lord, over our congregation, that you'd protect us from, from evil and from sin. you deliver us from temptation that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, 
that we'd bear real fruit in our lives, that we would be growing Christians, not stagnant in our faith, that we would come to love your word more and more, that you'd protect us from, from pride and vanity and hypocrisy and envy and hatred and malice. That you'd give us, that you'd melt us with your love. We ask, Lord, that you give us hearts that love and fear you, that love and treasure your commandments. I ask your blessing, Lord, over um, the leaders in this church. I ask your blessing over the, those who serve as deacons and pray your blessing over them, uh, that you'd give them hearts which love your church and a, a love for the diligent study of your word. I pray to you, Lord, for, for all those who serve in various offices in the church. I pray for the trustees. You give them wisdom as they seek to care for the building and finances of the church. I, I ask your blessing, Lord, over our, our treasurer and our clerk and auditor and all the various officers of the church, Lord, as they fulfill their duties, that you'd help them uh, watch over them, that you'd, you'd uh, build your church through their efforts. Pray your blessing over all those who are in authority over us, for our president, for our governor, for those in Congress, for those who serve as judges, um, for our town selectmen. You'd give them wisdom, um, that they would rule well, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives, and so that your, uh, your gospel would be able to be proclaimed unhindered. We ask, Lord, for a revival among us this morning. We ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We ask for life by your word. We ask that even as you spoke life into creation in the beginning by the power of your word, that you would make our hearts alive this morning by the power of your word and of your son Jesus and of your indwelling spirit. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand together, and you can open your, your green books to number 211. This will be a new one. You'll catch on. Yeah. 
above him, none before him, all of time in his hands. For his throne it shall remain and ever stand. All the power, all the glory, I will trust in his name. For my God is the Ancient of Days. Though the dread of night overwhelms my soul, He is here with me. I am not alone. Oh, His love is sure, and He knows my name. All the power, all the glory, I will trust in his name, for my God is the Ancient of Days. Though I may not see what the future brings, I will watch and Savior King, then my joy complete, standing face to face in the presence of the ancient of days. None above him, none before him, all of time in his hands, for his own it shall All the power, all the glory, I will trust in his name, for my God is the ancient of days. Now if you turn to uh, number 209, speak, O Lord, 209.
As we go to the Word this morning, you can open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32 is where we're going to be this morning. And I want to start with a question. Are you growing? Are you growing? Are you maturing? Or are you stuck? Are you, becoming, are you becoming a better man? Are you becoming a better woman? Are you becoming more like Jesus? There's all, there's all kinds of uh, metrics we could use to measure growth. We could start with the fruit of the Spirit, right? We could ask, are our lives growing in terms of love of God and neighbor? Or of joy in God and in his word, right? Is our joy growing or shrinking? Are we growing in terms of our settled peace before God? Are we growing in our patience with one another? Goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? We could run through the whole list. But this morning, I want to look at one key marker of growth in Christian maturity, and that's the marker of humility. Humility. I want us to see this morning that humility... And specifically, humility before God is a key marker of growth in Christian maturity. Show me a proud Christian, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, show me a Christian who's been Christian for 30 years who's proud, and I'll show you an immature Christian. Show me a humble Christian, and I'll show you a mature Christian. We're going to consider humility before God in the context of Genesis chapter 32 and in the context of a man named Jacob. So we've been following this man, Jacob, and his life. Jacob, we're going to see, 
I think demonstrates great growth in humility in this chapter, specifically in his, his humility before God. Up till now, Jacob is, has been pretty much a self-made man. He's refused, really, outwardly to depend on God in any way because he's a, he's a strong man, he's a capable man, and he's, he's got a strong will. He's the kind of guy who wants to pull himself up by his bootstraps. He's the kind of personality we see a lot of in New England, right? Jacob's kind of a, kind of a good mainer, right? He's self-sufficient. But in Genesis 32, he demonstrates great humility before God, which shows that he can, he can grow, which shows that we can grow, which should be a great encouragement. Uh, for those of you who haven't been following, we've been moving through Genesis chapter by chapter each week, and Jacob, uh, at this point, is going home. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. Jacob is the kind of the, the torchbearer in his generation, carrying the promises that were given to Abraham and then were passed on to Isaac. They've now fallen to Jacob. Okay? So Jacob is the recipient of these great promises of blessing. And it's in and through Jacob that God's going to create a whole people, Israel, which eventually is going to bless the world through the coming of Jesus. Okay, so that's the, that's the big story. But in terms of Jacob's story, we're picking up on Jacob's story when he's going home. He's going home. He'd been away from home for 20 years. He was a young man when he left. He's young no longer. And when he left, he was on the run. Because he'd stolen his brother's inheritance, he'd stolen his brother's blessing, and his brother Esau wanted to kill him. So when he left home 20 years ago, it's because he was running from his brother, running for his life. And he's returning now. And actually in the next chapter in Genesis 33, we're going to see Jacob and Esau reunite. We're going to see their reconciliation. But in Genesis 32, this is the... This is the account of Jacob's journey home. And on the way, he's getting ready. On the way, he's preparing for this pretty terrifying prospect of seeing his brother again for the first time in 20 years and trying somehow to pick up where they left off. And over the course of this chapter, we're going to see Jacob's, both Jacob's humility and his humbling. Right? He's going to show that he's grown, and then he's going to be pushed to humble himself even further. We're going to focus on a prayer that Jacob prays and then on a wrestling match Jacob participates in. The prayer will show his humility. The wrestling match will push him to get even lower. Let's read our passage together and then we'll pray. Genesis 32. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau. Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. 
He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 12, uh, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your brother, your servant, Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord, Esau, and moreover he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third, and all who followed the droves, You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. That same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, which means the face of God, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, our hope is that we might grow. And our aim is that we might be humbled. 
Please humble us this morning before your word. Open our minds and our hearts, not only to understand, but to believe and to obey what you would have us to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The scene opens in verses 1 and 2 with angels. And this is not the first time Jacob's seen angels. Remember when Jacob was first leaving his home and heading off to, to stay with his uncle Laban, where he was for 20 years. He saw angels, right? The first night he was away, he saw Jacob's, Jacob's ladder, as it's commonly known, right? A stairway from heaven with angels ascending and descending. And so there's sort, of a, there's sort of a bookend here, right? On his way back to the land, he sees angels again. The sign here that God is at work in momentous ways, first in bringing Jacob out and now in bringing Jacob back to the land. And as Jacob is traveling down, he sends messengers ahead of him. His, he's got lots of flocks and he's got his families and carts and things, and so they move slowly. So he sends a couple of messengers ahead. And he says, I, I want you to go and, and tell Esau we're coming. And he sends this greeting, uh, and it's, it's quite a respectful greeting. Um, it itself is sort of a humble greeting. We'll talk more about that next week. Um, we're gonna, next week we'll look and sort of focus in on Jacob's relationship with Esau and that reconciliation. Um, but he sends these messengers ahead, and they come back, and what's their news? Esau's coming out to meet you. And he's bringing 400 men with him. And Jacob's afraid. And he has reason to be afraid. Right? Esau might be coming out with no intention to do him harm. But if he is coming out with intention to do him harm, which Jacob has reason to expect, right? Because he wanted him dead the last time he saw him. 400 men is pretty terrifying, right? Esau's coming out with his full fighting force all of the fighting men in his, in his household. And Jacob's afraid. And Jacob begins to take some steps in order to prepare to meet Esau. Okay. So he, he does a number of things here. A lot of it has to do with servants and flocks and herds. Right? He, he starts organizing his wagon train. Right? First of all, he splits it up into two groups. Right? So if one's attacked, the other ones might be able to survive. And then he sends servants ahead with, with gifts, right, to sort of to smooth the way with Esau, some, some gifts to make their greeting maybe a little more pleasant. But he does one kind of preparation which is actually unusual for Jacob, at least so far. He prays. He prays, right, and maybe you say, well, it's in the Bible, of course he's praying, right, but Jacob as we've known him so far, is not well known for his prayer, right? He's self-reliant. He does things himself. He's a proud man. And up till now, there's actually been two key occasions where we actually expected him to pray and he didn't, right? You remember the first time is when he goes out to find a wife, right? And it's a very clear parallel to earlier passages um, where a man of God is seeking a wife and and it's very clear that they're entirely relying on God, right? They're praying, they're pouring themselves out to God. Jacob, not so much, right? He, remember, he, he opens up the well, pushes the stone. He does it on his own strength. He's not appealing to God's help. And then, too, when he's married and he's got two wives, right? Well, 
four, sort of. But it, Rachel, you remember, Rachel um, is barren for a time. She's not able to have children. She comes to him. She says, please, would you give me a child? He says, what am I supposed to do about it? It's in God's hands. He doesn't pray. Both of his, both his father and his grandfather, both Abraham and Isaac, we have clear instances of them pouring their hearts out to God, interceding for their wives, praying that their wife might bear a child. Jacob, no such thing. Throws up his, his hands in the air. So something's changed. Because here on the eve of this new challenge, Jacob pours out his heart to God. Verse 9, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Jacob's having a bit of a retrospective as he's walking, pa- walking back in the opposite direction on this path he walked 20 years earlier, right? Remembering that he came with literally the clothes on his back and the stick in his hand, nothing to his name. And now he's, he's returning a wealthy man. He's been blessed greatly. And maybe earlier in his career, he would have attributed more of it to his strength. But the events of the last chapter, which we looked at last week, right? where God makes very clear to Jacob in a vision, all this that you've been given, all these flocks, everything that's prospered under your hands, Jacob, it's because God's been with you. And so here, as Jacob is approaching the next challenge, he recognizes, first of all, and this is the first way in which Jacob humbles himself before God, he acknowledges his dependence. He acknowledges his dependence I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. He acknowledges, everything I've been given, it's from you. He acknowledges his dependence. So let this be our first stop for self-examination. Have we fully acknowledged our dependence on God, our need for him, our reliance upon him? It's easy to go throughout our days thinking that we're pretty capable, that we're doing everything in our own power, right? Some people finish their lives and they say, everything I've gotten, I've gotten by the sweat of my brow. I've done it all, right? And that fails to recognize that we are creatures in God's world. We don't take a breath without God's say-so. Everything in in the whole of creation is is a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. Our very breath is a gift from God. Every heartbeat. Have we acknowledged our dependence on God? The next thing he recognizes is that he acknowledges his unworthiness before God. That same sentence, verse 10, I am not worthy of all the least of all the deeds that you have shown to your servant. Jacob recognizes not only is everything he's been given is from God, but he also recognizes everything he's been given he didn't deserve. I have to wonder if niggling on the back of Jacob's mind was the fact that 
the birthright he'd stolen, the blessing he'd deceived for, that everything that was his was once someone else's. I am not worthy of this. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love that you've shown me. This is the second step of humility, acknowledging our unworthiness. It's very easy to do quite the opposite of this when we approach God and to go to God with a sense of entitlement, a sense of what we deserve, a sense of what we've earned, right? God, I've, I've done this and this and this and such, right? I've gone to church for 30 years and I've been in the choir and I tithe more than anyone else, I'm pretty sure. So this is what I deserve from you. Right? Or to go to God and say, Lord, you've put me through this and this and this, and I've suffered this and this and this, and so I deserve this from you now. Right? Or maybe if we don't say it out loud, to kind of assume that and resent him. That misunderstands our relationship to God. It overlooks the fact that we actually don't deserve anything from God. Everything God has given us is a gift. If you're looking for what you deserve, the Apostle Paul lays out very clearly in the book of Romans what what we deserve, right? Because we're sinners. We're rebels against God. We've turned from him. And and Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us the wages of sin, the wage of sin, what we deserve, the paycheck at the end of our life is, is actually death. That we've actually turned from the author of life And by turning to sin, we've become destroyers of all that is good. And what is right and just for a holy God is actually to sentence us to death. That's what we deserve from God. Every breath really is a gift. Second step of humility, acknowledging our unworthiness. Acknowledging our unworthiness. If you haven't taken this step at all ever in your life, I would have a real question that you're, if you're actually a Christian. If you've, ever, if you've never come to the point where you've recognized, God, I'm a sinner, and I deserve death and hell. Because what's Jesus' command throughout his ministry? Repent and believe the gospel. In order to be a Christian, not even getting to maturing as a Christian, in order to be a Christian, period, it's repent and believe. Repent means to turn. It means to recognize that we are sinners and to confess our sin to God And to say, I don't want to walk in that way anymore. I want to follow you, right? And that's the flip side, is faith. I want to walk with you, Lord Jesus. Not only do I want to walk with you, but I need you, right? My sin would condemn me, so I'm looking to Christ, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, right? Paul doesn't end the sentence at death, right? He ends the sentence at life. The gift of salvation is just that. It's a gift. It's not something we deserve. 
And so even the beginning of the Christian life must begin in humility and recognizing, I don't deserve anything from you, and yet you've offered me so much through Jesus, right? Not only life in this world, but eternal life and joy in God forever, right? This is the offer of the gospel. So it's worth asking even this morning, have you, have you said yes to that? Right? Have you turned from your sin? Have you turned to Jesus? Have you humbled yourself before God? Okay. Jacob acknowledges his dependence. He acknowledges his unworthiness. Next, he acknowledges his need. Verse 11, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. He acknowledges his need. It really is an act of humility to acknowledge that you're up against something which is beyond your ability. If you're a, if you're a man who lives in Maine, you know this to be true. Because you know the feeling of hitting up against a project that you're like, I think this is beyond me. I'm not sure I have the tools, I'm not sure I have the expertise, and I think I'm going to need to ask my neighbor for help. I think I'm, I think I need, I think I'm going to need to go to another man and say, I need help. That's humbling. Right? You're acknowledging, acknowledging your need is inherently humbling. Because you're saying, I'm not up to it. Jacob so far has handled most of the needs which have arisen in his life by just going right at it. Right? Not asking for help, pushing through on his own strength to mixed success, right? The whole marriage thing really ended up a mess for him, figuring that out in his own strength and his own knowledge. Here he humbles himself. Here he comes before God and he lays it all out. He doesn't mince his words. He doesn't even pretend before God that he has it figured out, which is something that we can be prone to do. Right? Even deceiving ourselves in prayer, trying to, trying to convince God, as if, that we have it more figured out than we really do. Right? Our, the levels of self-deception in our hearts go very deep. Jacob lays it all out. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. I am afraid that he may come and attack me, the mothers and the children. I am afraid, I'm afraid for my family. And you can imagine that these long suppressed fears were coming back afresh to him as he's looking on country that looks more and more like home seeing these places he hasn't seen for 20 years, freshly afraid of his brother, freshly reminded of Esau's wrath, and he lays it all out before God. He doesn't come pretending that his plan is going to amount to anything, right? He's got all kinds of schemes, but he comes and he just says, Lord, I, I don't know. I'm afraid. Please deliver me. That's humility before God. Are you walking in that kind of humility before God? Are you laying it all out there for him? Are there some things you're holding back? Lay it all out there. I am afraid. I need help. 
I'm not sure I can get over this by myself. I'm not sure I can resolve this situation. I'm not sure I can defeat this sin. It feels like it's defeating me. I'm not sure if I can make it through this grief, Lord, because I feel like it's just choking me. I'm not sure I can do this, Lord. I'm afraid. Lay it all out there. Please deliver me. This is humility. He acknowledges his need. The final thing he does here in this prayer, he acknowledges his he acknowledges the covenant. He acknowledges the covenant. Verse 12. But you said. But you said, I will surely do you good. He puts his hope in the promise of God. And this too is an exercise in humility. He puts his hope in the promise of God. He says, you said. He actually says this twice, right back in verse 9. O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. And then here at the end of the prayer, it's this bookend thing. He's saying, you said you'd do me good. You said you'd do me good. You promised, Lord. You commanded, I went, and you promised. He banks his hope for answered prayer on the promises of God. That's his grounds for coming to God. He doesn't go and say, Lord, I deserve help. He knows he doesn't. He doesn't go and he, he doesn't lay out what he's going to give to God in exchange for help. He doesn't have anything that God wants and neither do we. He goes and he prays on the basis of God's covenant promises. You promised, so I know you'll provide. And this, too, is the basis for all our prayer, for all our hope for God's help. None of it rests on anything we can bring to the table. It all rests on the gracious promises of God. When we first come to Christ, we don't come saying, Lord, I've, I've got a lot to bring to this team, I think. We come saying, Lord, I'm bankrupt. I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness, and I need life, and I feel like I'm dead. Help me. And he doesn't answer us because there's anything in us that deserves it. He answers us because he has promised that all who come to him in Jesus, he will never turn away. This is the promise of Christ. Right? All who come to me, I will never turn away. Come to me, he said. We read this earlier in our prayer time. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the promise of Jesus. And so that's, we come to God on the basis of his covenant, on the basis of his promises. And so too as we go on living the Christian life. Right? There's no time during the Christian life where we build up enough in our spiritual bank account that God starts answering our prayers because we've been a good boy. Okay. The whole of the Christian life we still are unworthy of God's faithfulness. And he still gives it because God is good on his promises, because God is good to his people. Right? It's like a father to his son, right? And the boy's been out trashing the neighborhood all day, right? Denting up his dad's car, and he comes home. 
On what basis does that boy ask for his dinner? Or say, can I sleep in my bed tonight? Does he say, because I deserve it, because I've been good? No. He knows he's going to be able to sleep in his own bed tonight because that's his father's house. Not on the basis of merit, but on the basis of covenant. It's, the, it's similar in terms of our walk with the Lord. If, we, if we've become Christians, if we belong to God, he is our father and we are his kids. And this is why Jesus tells us we can be bold in prayer. He says, Doesn't, don't your fathers, don't, don't they give you bread when you ask for bread? They don't give you a stone, right? Or when, uh, uh, when you ask for a fish, they don't give you a, a scorpion, right? They give you good things. And they're human and messed up. Is, doesn't your perfect heavenly father know how to give even better gifts than that? Is, if you're a Christian, you, you're in the family of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. And you can come to God boldly even after the worst week of your life, even when you've totally messed it up, knowing God will hear, not because you deserve it, you never have, but because you're his kid. And that's a great assurance. And so you see that that kind of humility can be really freeing. Pride is a cage. That's Jacob's prayer. How does God respond to Jacob's prayer? Well, eventually he responds in saving him from Esau, right? Jacob and Esau reconcile. It's a beautiful scene. We'll look at it next week. Before he does that, how does God respond? You see, on his way out of the promised land, 20 years prior, Jacob had seen two things in that vision at Bethel. He'd seen angels, and he'd seen a vision of God's glory. And so here on his way back into the promised land, Jacob again is going to receive a vision. He's seen angels, and now he's going to receive a vision of God's presence. But it's going to be a very different experience. We read in verse 22 that that night he arose and he took his wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. The Jabbok is a tributary of the Jordan. He's moving in the direction of where Esau lives. There's something significant about a river, particularly in a day before civil engineers. A river is quite an obstacle. A river is a border. A river is a dividing line. It's a bit like walking over the threshold of a door. Particularly this river, which goes into the Jordan. Earlier in verse 10, he acknowledged, when I crossed over the Jordan with my staff, I had nothing. And now he's coming back. He's going to go back into the promised land. Even in, in the rest of Scripture, later his family, right, when they become a nation and they're delivered from Egypt... They go out through the Red Sea, right? And that's, it's like this concrete barrier. We're free now, right? And then in the days of Joshua, when the people are brought into the promised land, they go through the Jordan, right? The Jordan is divided, and they go, they go through it, over this barrier, into the land. And so this, this river in front of Jacob is, is, is weighted with significance, right? 
He's crossing over. And he's actually sent his whole family ahead, and he alone is left on the banks of this river as night is falling, and he's alone. We're not told why he did this. We can speculate. He wanted to get his thoughts together. Maybe he wanted to pray again. This is a significant thing he's preparing himself to do. He's going to see his brother for the first time. I imagine all kinds of thoughts were going through his head. He's a whole jumble of hope and fear and trepidation. He's obeying God. He's, he's going back to the land, but he is afraid. And there at, on the shores of the Jabbok, as night fell, a man wrestled with him. Now, this is a, it's a very interesting and a very enigmatic scene. A lot is not explained for us. We're told that a man wrestled with him all night. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So Jacob, on the, on the eve of this great event, ends up in a wrestling match all night. Who is he wrestling? Who is, who is this man? He's not named at first, and he's a bit evasive with his identity even after the wrestling match is over. Jacob asks his name, and he says, well, why is it that you ask my name? As in, maybe you should know. And by the time it's all over, Jacob is pretty clear on who this is. He names the place Peniel, which means the face of God, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Jacob has a sense that this man is somehow God shown up to wrestle him. It's sort of a strange thing, right? A wrestling match with God there on the shores of the Jabbok. I've pondered this scene all week, and it's fascinating. It's like a diamond. Like, there's all kinds of angles you can look at, and all so many questions I have about this passage. I want to think about one question, which I, which I think will help us to get to at least, at least part of what this passage is getting at. I, I'm going to be honest. I don't profess to have fully understood this scene. There's a lot going on here that I'm sure I'm missing. But I think, there's, I think there's one question that can, that can help us understand what's going on. And that is, did Jacob win? And, and if so, how did he win? Who wins the wrestling match? Let's, let's look. Verse 24, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So it seems like they're pretty much at, a, at an impasse the whole night. There's not a clear victor emerging as the sun is beginning to rise. And then this man, who is God, shows up and um, when, this, when the sun begins to rise, what does this man do? He puts his hand on his hip, and he, he puts his 
hip out of joint. Who's winning at this point? Jacob versus this man. Jacob's just lost the use of his hip. He's not going to, we read later he's limping. He's losing a lot of his ability, certainly, certainly his speed. This is a major liability in a wrestling match. And yet, though this man seems to have the physical advantage, the last we can tell, at, right at the center of the passage, and this is the center of the passage, um, is verse 28. This whole, this, the structure of this whole passage is what scholars call a chiasm, and right at the center of it, right at the center of this passage is verse 28, and the renaming of Jacob. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, which means deceiver or usurper, but Israel, which means God wrestles. For you have striven, you've wrestled with God and with men, and have prevailed, you've won. So, in what sense does Jacob win, and how does he win? How does Jacob prevail? Does he prevail physically? I think God could have beat him. He could have put all his his bones out of joint. I think God could have beat him. So, So what's God doing? What's his intent? What is he trying to get out of Jacob by wrestling him all night on the eve of this great encounter, right? What's God trying to get at in leaving Jacob with a limp on his way to see Esau? The turning point in this interaction is what Jacob says in verse 26. They're struggling up to this point, and it's after Jacob says this that the Lord says, you have prevailed. Verse 26, then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. That's what God says, but Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And it's then that the match ends. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then what does the Lord do? He removes the sort of shameful name of his past. He, he calls him, you're now wrestles with God, and he blesses him. What's God doing with Jacob? He weakens him. He weakens him all night. He, he saps all of Jacob's strength, so that in the morning, not only is he the emotional wreck he was the night before, he's also physically exhausted, and then right at the last moment of battle, he's now disjointed, he's handicapped. He has really nothing left, except that he can hold on to God. I think what God is doing here is removing from Jacob every ounce of his strength, which he counted so great. And at the end, the one feat that Jacob can achieve is holding on to God. I will not let you go unless you bless me. I think this is another element 
another part of Jacob's journey of being humbled. He has to be brought to the end of himself. So the only thing he has left is to hold on to God. I want to encourage you, friends, that this is something God does. God's people were named Israel. They weren't named Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. They're named after Israel. The people of God are named God wrestles, right? And sometimes it's rendered wrestles with God, but really it's, it's one way to think about it, but it, it, most literally it's God wrestles. God wrestles. These are the people that God wrestles with. And I, would, I want to encourage you this morning that it may be that you're in a season of wrestling and it feels like the sun has gone down and it feels like there's a, there's a great difficulty ahead and it feels like you're just sapped of all your strength and you're wrestling and you're wrestling and you're wrestling with God and you feel like less and less do you have anything in your own power. And I would want to encourage you that it may be that in this season what God is teaching you to do is to hold on to him. And I would want to encourage you too that after every night the sun does rise. After every night the sun does rise. Verse 31, the sun rose upon him. As he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. You kind of, this isn't the triumphant ride of a cowboy into the sunset, right? This is a limp into the sunrise. But we're going to see as we turn the page to Genesis 33 that this is a man who has been made very bold. He was cowering in fear before. He's going to be bold before his brother. Did Jacob win? Yes. No. He walks away injured, sapped of strength, defeated, and alive encouraged in one sense weaker than he's ever been in another sense more powerful than he's ever been because he's been humbled and because as he walks into that sunrise he's clinging on to the God who saves him let's pray Father and our God, we know that we need you. We know that everything we have is from you. We know that our very lives are gifts from you. We know that our salvation is a gift from you. We know that we deserve nothing from you and that we need you. We need you in, in order to be able to face the rest of this day. We need you to be able to walk out the rest of this week. We need you to help us as we face the trials and temptations that are ahead of us. And we need you trusting that you will provide for us if we belong to you. And we're confident that you've called us, all of, all of us who know you, and that you're with us and that you won't leave us. 
And I pray this morning, Lord, for any here who might have, have doubts as to whether they know, really know you or if they can know that security. I pray, Lord, that you would humble them this morning, that they would turn from their sins and trust in you. And I pray, Lord, for all of us that you would humble us. That's a pretty weighty prayer to pray, knowing what you, what you did with Jacob. But, Lord, we know we need to be humbled so that we might really live. Humble us before your mighty hand, O God, that you might lift us up. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Praise God from